0: I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me there is no God. I will strengthen you though you have not acknowledged me so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting people may know there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. You heavens above rain down my righteousness let the clouds shower it down let the earth open wide let salvation spring up let righteousness flourish within it with it i the lord have created it and our second reading comes from john chapter 14 do not let your hearts be troubled You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know anything where you are going so how can we know the way jesus answered i am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me if you really know me you will know my father as well from now on you do know him and have seen him philip asked lord show us the father that we will and that will be enough for us jesus answered Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves.
1: Good morning, everyone. Oh, is that working? Good morning. Can you hear me? Yeah. My name's Stephen, one of the ministers uh, here at Trinity Church Modbury. Great to be with you again. In 1998, I, uh, I moved four hours away from my home in Kiama to Wagga Wagga to study pharmacy and it was a new course that they had started to try and encourage people to do pharmacy in country areas but it wasn't just country people studying actually Uh, lots of people who didn't quite get into pharmacy in Sydney or Melbourne came to Wagga to study pharmacy and so in my um, year about half the people were your kind of typical country type I don't know what jumps to your mind not so much Stock whips and shotguns and a Akubras, but um, a little bit of that. And the other half, they were kind of city people. And most of those city people, they were actually the, the kids of migrants. And uh, for pretty much all of them, it was the first time they'd ever lived outside of a, of a big capital city. And so this group, they were drawn together because they had a lot in common. They were all studying pharmacy, all from cities, all from migrant backgrounds, and all of them slightly horrified to find themselves there in Wagga. Now, I grew up in a, a town that uh, wasn't very multicultural at all, but I, I was always drawn to people who were d- different to me. And so this group of, of about 15 people, they became my, my group of friends. Some of them were Muslims, um, whose parents were from Egypt or Pakistan or Iran... One of them was a Sikh, whose parents were from India. One was Coptic Orthodox, with parents from Egypt. And one was Greek Orthodox. One was Baha'i, who'd immigrated from Iran. A couple of them were Buddhists from Vietnam. Uh, and my closest friends, they were Hindus, international students from Fiji. And then you had me, uh, a Christian whose parents and grandparents and great- grandparents were from australia now all of us had very different beliefs and yet all of us were good friends but i remember one day as a a few of us were there studying in the library as i was looking for a textbook i I overheard a conversation they were chatting about how we all had different religious backgrounds and i thought i wonder how this is going to go I wonder if, if this is where things might get a little bit interesting but then one of them said but we all basically believe the same thing don't we and the, the few of my friends that were there they all agreed I wasn't quite in the conversation I was just walking up to them at at, at that stage and I was thinking what am I going to say when they ask me what I think our last term as a church, uh, as Craig told us, we asked our friends, what do they think God is like? And for some of the people we asked, they either weren't sure what God was like because there are so many sort of equal options out there that it's a bit daunting to kind of settle on, on one of them, that was sort of some of the responses, or for some people, they felt like all religions each give an idea of God that's true in, in their own way, that was some of the other responses. And then a few of the responses, a few people answered, they think God is like what their religion says God is like. But what about you? What do you make of of all the different religions that we have in our world? If you were walking up to my group of friends there in the library and they asked you what you thought about all their different religious backgrounds, what would you say? Would you agree with my friends that, yeah, they're basically all the same? Now, for me, as I was walking up, I was a bit baffled by what they said. I was only 17 back then. But even as a 17-year-old, I knew that there was really big differences in our religious beliefs. Like, are there many gods? Thousands and thousands of gods who exist as a part of this universe like my Hindu friends believed? Or is there no personal god at all like my Buddhist friends believed? believed or is there only one God who exists completely separate to the universe outside of it like my Muslim friends believed now these ideas they're not basically the same they're radically different or when you die does your life go on are you reincarnated and how you're reincarnated depends on how you've lived in this life like in Hinduism or do you live once only die and then face judgment like christians and jews and muslims believe again these ideas they're not basically the same they're radically different ideas now these sorts of things they they were swimming through my head as i as i joined the conversation but actually in the end they didn't ask me what i thought that day as i got there the conversation was done and so in a way i kind of breathed a sigh of relief the time being but in another way i was kind of disturbed that they could just brush aside our differences as if they were nothing because in the end it's it's actually not only illogical to say that all religions are basically the same it's actually patronizing as well and this is my first point that i reckon we should be honest about it's patronizing to say all religions are equal. It's patronising to everybody to say all religions are right. Often this idea, it comes because we want to keep the peace, we want to keep harmony, we want to respect people, which are all great and essential things. But in the end, what it achieves is a kind of cheap peace, a cheap harmony and a cheap respect. Because it basically says that if I disagree with you, I don't respect you. It says peace can only exist if we pretend we're all correct. But surely we can disagree with each other and still respect each other. What I wish my friends had said that day was, yeah, what, what we believe is all really different, contradictory even, but isn't it great that we can still be friends? But instead, what did I hear? What I heard is that if we don't believe basically the same thing as each other, then maybe we couldn't accept each other. In our culture, it puts massive pressure on us to say all religions are basically the same. But if I say that, what I'm really saying is, it's not simply that none of what you believe in your faith actually happened. What I'm really saying is none of what you believed happened actually matters None of it's even worth considering as a possibility. Now, even if that's not what our words are saying, that is what our logic is saying. So let me give you an example. Like the cross of Jesus. You know, was Jesus a false prophet, getting what he deserved on the cross, like Jews would think? Or did the cross not even happen? Because God would never let his prophet die in such a demeaning death like Muslims think. Or was the cross the most critical, central event in the history of the universe where God in Jesus is showing us his very heart, like Christians think? And to say Christians and Muslims are basically the same is to say Jesus' death is the most important event in history at the same time as saying it didn't happen and it could never happen because it's offensive to God and basically both of those are true. You know, that would be illogical. But worse than that, it would be patronising. Because what's really going on, if we say that, is just saying it doesn't matter if it happened or not, it just matters that you like to think it happened. Or didn't happen that's patronizing it's far more respectful to say i don't believe it happened or i believed it happened but i don't believe that jesus was anybody significant it was just another cruel meaningless death i'd far prefer someone to say to me that i believe your belief is wrong than to say to me i believe your belief is irrelevant to reality but it's sweet it's cute It's nice for you. Now, it's true that that some religious people, like some of my friends, they seem to just be happy to leave it at that. I think what they were actually saying was that it would be a shame to let our, our different religious beliefs make us treat each other badly. And I agreed with that. I didn't want to disrespect those guys at all. So what I had to figure out was, was it possible for me to disagree with them, with their beliefs? But still respect them as people is it possible for you to say to somebody i believe your belief about god is wrong but i believe we can carry on as close friends regardless is that possible well i'd say it's not only possible it's what real friends do let me explain A few years later, I'd I'd actually graduated university, but one of my uh, really close friends, he kept failing subjects, and he was still at uni. And one day, he asked me to look over his essay, and as I read it, I didn't think what he'd written was all that great. In fact, I thought what he'd written was wrong. And I was pretty confident that um, if he handed in that essay, he was going to fail that subject again (laughs) and have to do another semester at university, which would have been devastating for him to be stuck in Wagga and for his parents overseas to have to pay for another semester, another accommodation. And so as he looks over my shoulder as I'm reading his essay, an essay he's poured his heart and his soul into, what should I do? What would be respecting him in that situation? If I decided on that day just to affirm him and what he'd written, would that be respecting him? If I just smiled and said, oh, well, we we believe different things about how you should answer this essay, but we're basically the same, would that be kind to him? Both of those options would have been easy. But I also saw that would have been patronising and it would have been unkind. The respectful thing for me to do at that point was to tell him why I thought he'd got it wrong and, and how I thought he could fix it. And then to leave it to him to do with that what he wanted to do. Now that's not actually all that different to what it is like with faith. Because the simple truth is either all religions are essentially wrong in what they claim. Or all religions are wrong except one of them. And that's not to say there are no good things or true things in religions, in all the religions. But because the truth claims of of religions conflict so significantly about what they say about God and what they say about reality, it's just not possible for more than one of them to be right. If you want to say all religions are basically the same, we should realize that really what we're saying is all religions are basically wrong. Now, deep down, my, um, my friends knew that what we believed was not basically the same. Because a few weeks later, I had um, my close friends around over for dinner. They were um, Hindus from Fiji. And I'd been to Fiji, actually, and I'd, I'd learned a little bit of Hindi and I'd eaten curry in Fiji. And so I asked my friends, can you come around and teach me how to make it? I still remember it so well, because my friend, she, um, she said she didn't know how to make it because her mum did all the cooking at home, but she'd give it her best shot. And so uh, she came round and, and her mum would always start with a whole chicken, so we bought a whole chicken. Uh, but we were having trouble at cutting it up. And so I, rem- I remember the end result was this delicious curry that was lethal because there were shards of chicken bones hidden throughout it. But midway through hacking this chicken up unsuccessfully, my friend, she, she just looks up at me out of the blue she looks me in the, eye, in the eye, out of nowhere, and she says, so do you think I'm going to hell because I'm a Hindu? I wasn't on the edge of the conversation this time. I was being held by the gaze of my beautiful friend, put completely on the spot, having to figure out what I thought, having to find the words to express what I thought. I I paused. And I realized I didn't have the words to say to her. All I had were Jesus' words that that came to my mind, that he'd said about himself. And I said to her, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this is my second point that, that I reckon we all should know. Jesus claims to reveal God. You know, in that ancient Hindu parable which um, Neptune modernised for us with a a bike carrier, in the ancient Hindu parables about different religions, you know, you've got some blind men who encounter an elephant and one thinks he's found a rope with the elephant's tail, one a tree trunk with its legs, one a banana leaf with its ear and it goes on like that. It's often used as a parable about how all religions are in an, enc- an encounter with God. I think it's a great parable, actually. But I think if we follow it through to its logical end, it ends up saying something quite different to what most people think it's saying. Because who gets the parable right? I mean, who gets, who, gets, um, who gets it right in the parable? Who gets it right? Does everyone get it partly right? Well, in the end, everyone gets it completely wrong, don't they? Except for the person who watches at a distance. We tell this story as if the person in the distance is there sort of smiling, knowingly and smugly says, well, you're all partly right, if only you could see. But if you were standing at a distance watching this happen, what would you actually say? Wouldn't you say you're all wrong and you probably should stop groping that elephant or it's going to get upset with you. I mean, how on earth is it humble to say, I see the whole picture and congratulations, you've all got it right. That's arrogance. If you see the full picture, please don't keep it to yourself. Tell me exactly what is God like? Now, that's not a very Australian way of doing things because unless you're writing comments on the internet... Most people don't like to claim that they know exactly the full picture while no one else knows it. That sounds like arrogance. But what the Bible tells us is that is exactly what Jesus claims to be doing. He claims to be able to see what God is like while the rest of us can't. And more than that, he claims he can show us what we can't see for ourselves. Listen again to... What Jesus said to his followers on the the night before he died he said in in John 14 verse 6 I am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me if you really know me you will know my father as well from now on you do know him and have seen him now this is extraordinary Jesus claims to be not a way to God, but the only possible way to God. Is that arrogance? It is, if he's wrong. It's extreme arrogance of the worst possible kind. If Jesus is just a good teacher, then he's the worst, most narcissistic good teacher you could ever dream of. But if he really is who he says he is, God himself come to show us God, then that's not arrogance. That answers our question, but which God for good? One of Jesus' followers still doesn't get it. He says, Lord, show us the Father and and that'll be enough for us. And listen to what Jesus says. Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the father how can you say show us the father don't you believe that i am in the father and that the father is in me and jesus is not asking for a blind kind of faith he appeals to philip based on on what philip's seen of jesus verse 11 he says to him at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves do you see what this means Jesus claims to reveal God and he expects that we can weigh up the evidence of that claim. It's great to ask the question, but which God? But it's also easy to consider the, the, consider if Jesus gives the answer to that question or not. It's not really a mystery. It's not really like, well, there's so many options out there who can really know. Either what Jesus says is wrong and, and completely wrong. I mean, who says this about themselves? What kind of despicable person would say this about themselves? Either Jesus is the most selfish person, self-centered, deluded ego, whoever existed, or he is right, and he is the only way. He is the truth about God. He is the path to life. He is the one who can see what we can't, and he is the one person who can show us what we can't see about God. And if he's right, the question is answered. And you can know exactly which God is God and you can know exactly what God is like. But if you hear this from Jesus and if our first reaction is to think this is arrogance, then we've missed something astounding about what is going on here. Because in this part of the Bible, Jesus has just told his followers that he's going to prepare a way for them to God, by going to the cross to die for them the very next day. See, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he means unless he lowers himself, humbles himself, becomes human, unless he dies in agony, naked, humiliated on a cross, there is no way for us to have knowledge of God, no escape from hell to life for us. Either Jesus is the most arrogant man who ever lived, or he shows us the true heart of God is like nothing we could ever imagine or invent. So which is it? Is Jesus pure arrogance, or is he pure humility? He's not just an idea or a myth or a parable. You could never make this stuff up actually. The extreme grace of God, it's not a human invention. It's like a human inversion. It's God turning the way that we normally do things on its head. I mean, Jesus shows us that God serves us not despite his glory. Jesus shows us that the servant heart of God is God's glory. Pretty much every religion in the world, in one way or another... Pretty much they all balance the equation like this. You offer your service to God and he, she or they will return to you their blessings. Offer your service to God. This is the way the formula works. Offer service to God and God will bless you. But Jesus, he blows this thinking apart. He shows God's not interested in religion in the end. He he inverts human religion completely. Jesus... Is God blessing us as we are nailing his hands to the cross? His blessings flow to us, not as a result of our service, but as a result of his service to us. You could never make that up, but that is exactly who Jesus claims God to be. A few years ago, I had a, um, a young Muslim couple around... For dinner and in fact um, she cooked for us there's a bit of a theme going on here it was uh, less lethal this time though actually it was amazing she was very very generous and um, very skilled as well and the thing I love about Muslims is that unlike most Australians they're very comfortable to talk about their faith if you respect them and if they respect you they're very happy to speak very plainly to you They don't patronise you by telling you, oh, yes, we all believe the same thing. In fact, she was pushing me hard, telling me why she thought I was wrong. And she says, so you think Jesus is God's son, do you? I'm like, yeah, definitely. So you think God would stoop and become a pathetic human like us? Yes, it's amazing, but it's true. So you think God would what? Go to the toilet because that sounds ridiculous she says yes it does and yet that's only the beginning of what i believe god would do and then i said to her but let me ask you if it were true that god loved you so much that in order to make a place for you in his kingdom he came in jesus and died for you so that you could be completely acceptable to him completely forgiven completely confident of his love, so that you'd never face his judgment ever. Would you want that? She said, if it was true, yes, I would want that. Well, that is exactly the God that Jesus claims to be. You know, Muhammad doesn't claim, look at me and you see God. Moses doesn't claim that buddha never claimed that no hindu god interacting with humanity claimed to reveal the full picture of god like that but jesus in his life his teaching and strangest of all jesus in his horrible death claims to be revealing god like that we might think but which god but the simple truth is with jesus answering that question is is simple If Jesus is who he says he is, you can know exactly what God is like. If he's a fraud or deluded or a myth, then you can know exactly what God is not like. If someone tells you that they're a spiritual person or they're a religious person, ask them, what do you make of Jesus? What do you make of Jesus' claims? This brings us... To my final point that I reckon we should know, Jesus claims should be rejected or they should be believed. I remember another time at uni sitting with some pharmacy friends um, and these guys, they were more of your typical kind of Aussie country blokes, although there were no stock whips or shotguns on the table. But these guys, as they were talking, we were talking about faith for some reason and one of them says, if I was to pick a religion... I'd go with Hinduism because there are just so many Indians in the world, so I'd go with the majority. Now, putting aside the myth that Christianity is actually the majority and made up of all sorts of nations, including Indians, there are much better ways to weigh up the claims of, of a faith than just by going with who's got the most numbers. The evidence is there to be looked at. It's there to be weighed, to be considered. But if it's really there... If God has really gone to the lengths he's gone to on the cross for you, and if we say, thanks, but no thanks, I've got my spirituality, my own religion, I don't want to see what you're doing over there. If we won't even look at the evidence that he's given to us, that's pretty low. A couple of weeks ago, I ran through some of the evidence, a tiny taste of the evidence for God and the evidence for Jesus' claims about himself. I'm not going to do that again. Instead, if you want to see the evidence, it, it's there everywhere. I don't think that's the issue, actually. You know, come to our life series, which starts tomorrow night, goes for four weeks. You'll see plenty of evidence there. Instead, let me ask you the question my my Muslim friend asked. Uh, I asked my Muslim friend a couple of years ago, "If God was there, making Himself known in Jesus, opening the way for you to know Him, would you want that?" Would you want to know your purpose in life? Would you want to know the God who understands you, who will never abandon you, the God who loves you and is so committed to you that he would die for you, the God who wants to walk with you in this life every step of the way, but also wants to bring you beyond death to life that you can't even begin to imagine with him? If all that were true, would you want that? the evidence is absolutely there our life series starts tomorrow night that's a great place to come and weigh the evidence and if you're not sure if jesus is who he claims to be whoever you are make sure you get there let me pray father we thank you that once we've seen jesus we've seen you that we're not left with any doubts, that it's not because we're so great that we see this, but it's because you are so great that you reach out, reach out in such an extraordinary way to become one of us, to die in our place, to reveal that your heart is a heart of service and commitment to us, taking the anger that we deserve and giving us your love for all eternity. Father, we pray that we would see that for ourselves and when we meet those who are still wondering about you who are spiritual who are religious but have not encountered you in all your fullness lord give us the opportunities to point them to jesus to lead them to jesus give us the words to ask if they have examined jesus for themselves if they've weighed the evidence of his claim give us the love to do that the respect for all people to do that, the love for you to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.